0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, June 23rd, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, is it really confusion that can exist with some health conditions from health.com? And Why Dying People Often Experience a Burst of Lucidity, from Scientific American, plus the best vegetable for gut health, from Eating Well, and more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Is it really? Some symptoms make us wonder and make assumptions. Here, we compare five conditions to usually less severe ailments and look at the confusion that can exist between them. While this info doesn't substitute for the advice of your doc, it may assuage some anxiety or propel you to take action. By Barbara O'Dare from Health.com Is it really a migraine? Symptoms Migraine headaches afflict at least 38 million Americans. Often hereditary, they can be triggered by changing weather, especially a rise in humidity, fatigue, stress, foods such as cheese or chocolate or alcohol, and sensory input like bright or flickering lights. For a migraine diagnosis, one must have at least five headaches that last four to 74 hours without treatment, characterized by at least two of the following, a throbbing sensation, a specific location, and moderate to severe pain. They must be accompanied by nausea and or vomiting, or sensitivity to light and or sound. Treatment. Pain relievers, such as ibuprofen or acetaminophen, work best taken at the first sign of a migraine, and caffeine may help too. But if you feel as if you're on your way to a full-blown migraine, you'll most likely need prescription drugs. Or could it be... A tension headache. The symptoms, up to 80% of Americans suffer with tension headaches at one time or another. Unlike the throbbing sensation in one place that accompanies a migraine, a tension headache may feel like a tight band around the head, and it may feel more intense in the scalp, temples, or back of the neck, or the neck and shoulder muscles may feel sore or tight. It can be brought on by hunger, stress, fatigue, or depression, and might even trigger a migraine. Treatment. Attention headache can usually be treated by over the counter medications. Is it really a gluten allergy? Symptoms. Gluten is a mixture of water insoluble proteins found in wheat, barley, and rye, as well as some processed foods. And while there is no such thing as a true gluten allergy, 1% of the population suffers from celiac disease, a condition for which ingestion of gluten is truly dangerous. A wheat allergy is a rare immune reaction, causing the system to overreact to one or more of the four proteins found in wheat. Symptoms include hives, shortness of breath, and vomiting. Celiac disease, a hereditary autoimmune condition, is often diagnosed by a process of elimination of gluten-containing foods. Depending on the type of celiac disease you have, symptoms may include gastrointestinal distress, liver disorders, osteoporosis, and damage to the small intestine. Treatment No medication treats celiac disease, so it's important to remove any foods with gluten from your diet and monitor your condition with regular doctor's visits. Although rare, a wheat allergy can cause life-threatening anaphylaxis, a severe allergic reaction, so wheat-allergic patients should avoid food triggers and carry auto-injectable epinephrine, if warranted. Or could it be gluten intolerance? Symptoms Gluten intolerance is not an allergy, says health advisory board member Eric McGinty, MD, an allergist and clinical immunologist at ENT and Allergy Associates in Southampton, New York. While some healthcare practitioners have made gluten an enemy, the concept of gluten intolerance, also known as gluten sensitivity, is regularly debated among researchers. Still, symptoms thought to be related to gluten intolerance include diarrhea and constipation, abdominal pain, fatigue, nausea, and headache, along with bloating and gas. Treatment. Gluten intolerance can be difficult to diagnose as there is no test for it. While the symptoms may be tough to tolerate, they're not life-threatening and may be related to something else. The best way to control symptoms is to stay away from offending foods. Is it really a heart attack? Symptoms. Suddenly you have shortness of breath and you feel pressure in your chest or pain in one or both arms or your back, neck, jaw, or stomach. This is what a heart attack can feel like, but many women don't recognize it as such. According to Suzanne Steinbaum, DO, a cardiologist and spokeswoman for the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women campaign, More women seem to blow off their symptoms, saying, I'm just anxious. If you have chest pains, nausea, or other symptoms, or if you suspect a heart attack for any reason, call 911. Treatment. Doctors at the ER will administer a variety of tests to determine that you have had a heart attack and the course of treatment. Or could it be a panic attack? Panic attacks are often mistaken for heart attacks with similar symptoms such as shortness of breath, palpitations, and indigestion. Panic attacks tend to resolve in 20 to 30 minutes while pain from a heart attack worsens over time with longer-lasting symptoms. Panic attacks, which are usually sudden and intense, are characterized by a fear of disaster or losing control even when there is no danger. Treatment A panic attack can't lead to a heart attack, but the two can mimic each other, so if unsure, seek medical attention immediately. For a panic attack, deep breathing and self reassurances that the attack will pass can help. Over the long term, psychotherapy and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, or SSRI, or beta blocker medications can be important treatments. Is it really sleep apnea? Sleep apnea is a dangerous condition in which sleepers stop breathing and then start up again repeatedly. The most common type is obstructive sleep apnea, which occurs when breathing muscles relax during sleep, blocking the upper airway. An estimated 22 million Americans suffer from sleep apnea. While the condition can cause loud or frequent snoring, other symptoms include silent pauses in breathing, choking or gasping sounds, daytime sleepiness, insomnia, and even memory loss. Treatment. If you're having trouble breathing at night, your doctor may steer you to an overnight sleep clinic where a polysomnography will record your heart, breathing patterns, and brain activity. Treatment options include a CPAP, or continuous positive airway pressure machine, or an oral appliance. Newer technique involves the implantation of a device in the chest that stimulates nerves to either the tongue or diaphragm, depending on the type of apnea. Or could it be snoring? Symptoms. Primary snoring, the term for snoring without apnea, occurs when tissues in the throat relax and the airflow during breathing causes the tissues to vibrate. While snoring may indicate sleep apnea, it might also be just an annoyance to your partner. Treatment. For plain old snoring, sleep doctors recommend weight loss and reduced consumption of alcohol at night. Raising the head of your bed and sleeping on your side may also be effective. Is it really food poisoning? Symptoms. An estimated 1 in 6 Americans gets food poisoning and 3,000 die from it every year. Pathogens can find their way into many foods, but uncooked, ready-to-eat food like salads can be especially risky. Symptoms include upset stomach, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, chills, or body aches. Treatment. You need to replace your fluids if you have ongoing vomiting or diarrhea. If you can't keep liquids down or you have blood in your vomit or stools, a doctor may give you fluids intravenously. In some cases, your doctor may prescribe antibiotics. Most cases of food poisoning will not kill you, though botulism and E. coli infection can be fatal if not treated properly. Or could it be a stomach virus? Symptoms. Surprisingly, a stomach bug is less common than food poisoning. The bug is viral gastroenteritis, an inflammation of the stomach and intestines caused by a virus. Unlike food poisoning, which can emerge in as quickly as two to six hours after eating contaminated food and can clear up in a couple of days, a stomach virus, which is highly contagious, can occur 24 to 72 hours from exposure and take up to 10 days to resolve. Treatment. There is often no medical treatment for a stomach virus. Anti-nausea medications and anti-diarrheals may lessen your discomfort, but mostly you just have to tough it out. Up next, Why Dying People Often Experience a Burst of Lucidity, by Jordan Kinnard from Scientific American. Long the fixation of religions, philosophy, and literature the world over, the conscious experience of dying has recently received increasingly significant attention from Science. This comes as medical advances extend the ability to keep the body alive, steadily prying open a window into the ultimate locked room, the last living moments of a human mind. Around 1959, humans discovered a method to restart the heart in people who would have died, and we called this CPR, says Sam Parnia, a critical care physician at NYU Langone Health. Parnia has studied people's recollections after being revived from cardiac arrest, phenomena that he refers to as recalled experiences surrounding death. Before CPR techniques were developed, cardiac arrest was basically synonymous with death. But now doctors can revive some people up to 20 minutes or more after their heart has stopped beating. Furthermore, Parnia says, many brain cells remain somewhat intact for hours to days post-mortem, challenging our notions of a rigid boundary between life and death. Advances in medical technology and neuroscience, as well as shifts in researchers' perspectives, are revolutionizing our understanding of the dying process. Research over the past decade has demonstrated a surge in brain activity in human and animal subjects undergoing cardiac arrest. Meanwhile, large surveys are documenting the seemingly inexplicable periods of lucidity that hospice workers and grieving families often report witnessing in people with dementia who are dying. Poet Dylan Thomas famously admonished his readers, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. But as more resources are devoted to the study of death, it is becoming increasingly clear that dying is not the simple dimming of one's internal light of awareness, but rather an incredibly active process in the brain. What is terminal lucidity? For decades, researchers, hospice caregivers, and stunned family members have watched with awe as people with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia suddenly regain their memories and personalities just before death. To their family members, it might seem like a second lease on life, but for many experienced medical workers, it can be a sign the end is near. Christopher Kerr, chief executive officer and chief medical officer at the Center for Hospice and Palliative Care in Buffalo, New York, has studied the lucid visions of several hundred terminally ill people. He says these events usually occur in the last few days of life. Such terminal lucidity is defined as the unexpected return of cognitive faculties such as speech and connectedness with other people, according to George Mason University's Andrew Peterson, a researcher of bioethics and consciousness who co-authored a study of the phenomenon commissioned by the National Institutes of Health. This connectedness goes beyond the return of lost communication ability and situational awareness. One thing that seems to be quite profound for family members who observe lucidity is something we call the old self emerging, Peterson says. There seems to be clear evidence that they're aware not merely of their surroundings, but additionally understanding what their relationships to other people are, be it the use of a nickname or a reference to a long-standing inside joke, he says. As surprising as these events might seem, they are quite common. Our study wasn't a prevalent study, says Jason Karlewish, a gerontologist at the Penn Memory Center and senior principal investigator of the NIH study. Nevertheless, he adds, what we found is lucidity was more common than it was the exception in dementia patients, which would suggest that the idea of it being terminal is not entirely correct, he says. Instead, he suggests that episodes of lucidity should be seen as part of the disease experience rather than as aberrant events. We've actually found that a variety of these episodes occurred months, even years, before the person died, Coralish notes. Even so, many experts, including Kerr and Parnia, agree that most of these episodes are associated with the approach of death. It's almost like they're preparing themselves to die, Parnia says. The potential implications of these widespread temporary cognitive resurgences are profound. It suggests there may be neural networks that are remaining and or pathways and neural function that could help potentially restore cognitive abilities to individuals we otherwise think are permanently impaired, Peterson says. Nevertheless, research into this phenomenon is still in its early phases. We don't actually know what's going on in the brain during the dying process that may in some way connect to these episodes, Peterson says. Despite this uncertainty, Other research into brain activity near or at the time of death could provide scientists and clinicians greater insight into some of the processes occurring in the diseased and dying brain. What happens in the brain as people die? In a study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences USA, Researchers at the University of Michigan observed a surge of organized brain activity in two out of four comatose people who were undergoing cardiac arrest after being removed from life support. This work built on more than a decade of animal research, including a 2013 study that revealed a similar surge in synchronized brain activity in rats exposed to a cardiac toxin and a 2015 study in which rats were killed by asphyxiation. In all of these investigations, the researchers found that gamma wave activity surged within the first few minutes of cardiac arrest and then ceased. Gamma waves are a frequency of brainwave typically associated with wakefulness, alertness, and memory recall. Jimo Borgin, a neurologist and an associate professor of molecular and integrative physiology at the University of Michigan, was involved in all three studies— The surge of gamma waves in dying subjects was particularly intense in a brain region Borgin refers to as the posterior cortical hot zone located near the back of the skull. Some other researchers believe this region may also be essential to conscious experience. The parts of the brain in this area are related to visual, auditory, and motion perception, a phenomenon Borgin believes is involved in the out-of-body experiences reported by people who come close to death and recover. She adds that gamma wave activation patterns akin to those observed in the comatose people are associated with activities that include the recognition of a familiar image, such as a human face, in healthy people. In both the human and animal studies, the subject's brain showed a spike in activity after the sudden reduction of oxygen supply, Borgian says. It starts to activate this homeostatic mechanism to get oxygen back, either by breathing harder or making your heart beat faster, she adds. Bourgen hypothesizes that much of the surge in more complex brain activity observed in humans and animals undergoing cardiac arrest is also a result of the brain attempting to reestablish homeostasis, or biological equilibrium, after detecting a lack of oxygen. She further speculates that these survival mechanisms may be involved in other changes in cognition surrounding death. I believe dementia patients' terminal lucidity may be due to these kinds of last-ditch efforts of the brain to preserve itself as physiological systems fail, Borgen says. NYU Langone's Parnia agrees that the brain's reaction to the loss of oxygen is at least partially responsible for lucid experiences surrounding death. Between 2017 and 2020, Parnia led a study called AWARE-2, in which researchers monitored the brain activity of more than 500 critically ill people in the U.S. and U.K. who were receiving CPR. The patients were exposed to audiovisual stimuli while undergoing CPR to test their memory of events after cardiac arrest. Those who survived were later interviewed about how aware they were during the resuscitation process. According to Parnia, one in five survivors reported lucid experiences that occurred after their heart stopped. The Aware 2 team also observed an unexpected spike in brain activity during CPR, he says. Within 20 seconds of cardiac arrest, the brain flatlines, Parnia says. Yet usually within five minutes, but it could be longer, we're seeing a reemergence of a transient period of brain electricity. He adds that the frequencies of brain activity observed are similar to those associated with conscious experience. Parnia believes the dying brain loses the usual suppression mechanisms that allow us to focus on individual tasks during our day-to-day lives. When you die, your brain is deprived of oxygen and nutrients, so it shuts down, Parnia says. This shutting down process takes away the brakes." and suddenly what seems to be happening is it gives you access to parts of your brain that you normally can't access. All your thoughts or your memories or your interactions with everyone else come out, he says. But he stresses that the experiences of people undergoing cardiac arrest are lucid, not merely hallucinations. They're not delusional, Parnia says, of the resuscitated people he studied, and what they're experiencing is not dreams or hallucinations. Although his previous studies focused on resuscitated critically ill people, Parnia believes that terminal lucidity in people who are comatose or have dementia may be the product of a similar process. He is currently participating in a study on the latter phenomena. A full explanation for the conscious experiences of dying people remains elusive, but research increasingly paints a picture of death as an incredibly active and complex process, and perhaps more importantly, a humanized one, as Kerr describes it. As for people with dementia, Karloisch says that rather than assuming their consciousness has been irrevocably changed, we should still pay close attention to their mind because some aspects are still there, though they may be quite damaged, he says. Up next, the best vegetable for gut health, according to a gastroenterologist. Discover the benefits of eating spinach for gut health from experts. Packed with fiber, vitamins, and minerals, spinach can help improve gut health and prevent digestive issues. By Adam Meyer from Eating Well magazine. Are you looking for a vegetable that can do wonders for your gut health? If so, we chatted with gastroenterologists who say spinach may be the answer. Spinach is a powerhouse vegetable packed with nutrition and numerous health benefits. For example, research shows spinach has anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and weight management benefits. No wonder Popeye liked it so much. Besides being an excellent source of vitamins and minerals, spinach also offers several benefits for gut health. Spinach is always my first choice as the best vegetable for gut health, says Sarah Robbins, M.D., a gastroenterologist and the founder of Well Sunday, a leading platform for digestive health solutions. Not only is it readily available in grocery stores, reasonably priced, versatile, and convenient, this leafy green is densely packed with fiber and other nutrients that support gut and overall health, she says. Spinach is an excellent source of fiber. Fiber is essential for gut health as it helps to keep the digestive system moving and promotes regular bowel movements. A diet rich in fiber has been shown to reduce the risk of colon cancer and it can also help to prevent constipation, hemorrhoids, and other digestive problems. Eating spinach regularly can help you get enough fiber in your diet. The daily recommended fiber intake suggests that adults aim for around 30 grams of fiber daily, and spinach is a great way to fill that requirement. 100 grams of raw spinach has approximately 2.2 grams of fiber, and 100 grams of cooked spinach has 2.4 grams of fiber, says Robbins. Spinach is high in antioxidants. Antioxidants help to protect the body from damage caused by free radicals, which are unstable molecules that can harm cells and contribute to chronic disease risk. Spinach contains several antioxidants, including vitamin C, vitamin E, beta-carotene, and flavonoids. These antioxidants can help to reduce inflammation in the gut, which is critical for maintaining a healthy digestive system. Spinach is rich in vitamins and minerals essential for gut health. Spinach is a great source of vitamin A, which helps to maintain the health of the intestinal lining, and vitamin K, which is essential for blood clotting and bone health. This leafy green also contains iron, which is necessary for the production of red blood cells, and magnesium, which helps maintain healthy nerve and muscle function. Spinach is low in FODMAPs. FODMAPs, which stand for fermentable, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols, are types of carbohydrates that can be difficult to digest for some people. This makes spinach a fantastic choice for those with irritable bowel syndrome or other digestive disorders, since eating spinach regularly can help reduce symptoms of digestive discomfort and promote gut health. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.